Welcome one, welcome all, welcome back to the James Kennedy Podcast. Yes, it is that time of week again. Can you believe it? Where is the time going? Welcome back, man. It's good to have you. And I hope you've been enjoying the new thing I started a few weeks ago called the Monday Mix on Spotify, where basically every Monday morning, I update my playlist on Spotify with all of the kick-ass, awesome tunage that I've been listening to that week. Man, there are some bad boys on that playlist. (laughs) Check it out. And start your week right every Monday by cranking that bad boy out full tilt. You can find it pinned to my artist page on Spotify at James Kennedy. And you can also get it. It's all over my socials as well. So if you're not following me on my socials, you know, what are you doing with your life? Really? James Kennedy UK on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Get on it. That's where all the good stuff is. And once you've done that, you can go and click on the link to the Monday mix and go and bathe in the sonic bliss of fuzzy guitars and pounding drums. Don't tell me I'm not good to you guys. Now, today we're talking about a subject which I've been curious about for many, many years. But sadly, it's a subject which has become a lot closer to me personally. Um, As some of you may know, I recently, very recently lost my father. Uh, It's literally only been about two months um, since he passed. So the subject of today's conversation uh, goes beyond intellectual curiosity for me now from the vantage point of distance. It's actually something which is very close and resonates quite intensely with me now. So I don't know how the other conversation is going to pan out today, but the subject of today's chat is going to be assisted dying. We're going to be talking about death, terminal illness, assisted dying, and whether it's high time that we had assisted dying in the UK as many countries around the world already do. I appreciate this is going to be difficult listening for some people who've also been close to the subject, but I feel that I owe it to people who've also been through this experience or or are maybe going through it. I feel like I owe it to those people to have this conversation because it's... It will be from a perspective of somebody who has very recently been through it in his own family rather than intellectual ponderings from somebody who hasn't been close to the actual emotional reality of what it's like to go through this. I think the conversation around assisted dying is a very, very important one to have. And for any listeners who may be going through a terminal illness themselves or in their own family, um, I hope that you may find some comfort in this conversation and I can promise you that it will be handled with sensitivity. And as I said, it will be coming from the perspective of somebody who's just very recently been through this themselves. So I'm on your side. Okay, so with that said, let's welcome onto the show today's guest. Today we are very lucky to be joined by the awesome Nathan Stilwell from the campaign group My Death, My Decision, who've been campaigning for years for assisted dying to become legal in the UK. This is a subject that I've been really interested in for a long time, so I'm super grateful to be able to have Nathan's time today. Mr. Stilwell, how are you doing, sir? I'm very good, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to speaking with you all week. So thanks so much for doing this. Um, this is an issue that is very sensitive and delicate and will touch a lot of raw nerves with people, I think, for very understandable reasons. Um, so before we jump into the issues surrounding this subject, I suppose we should start by establishing what exactly is assisted dying? Yes, and very good question. So assisted dying essentially is um, a person, we're talking about a person who is either terminally ill or incurably, intolerably suffering, ending their own lives on their own terms in, you know, in a, in a place of their choosing. Um, and it, there will be, you know, 
safeguards and ways of making sure that it is done by the books and properly. But it is something that is currently um, illegal in the UK for, for assisting or um, encouraging anyone to to die. You could face up to 14 years in jail. Wow, I didn't know it was that long. So what are some of the conditions under which somebody would consider this then? Sure. So obviously this depends by the person. And I think that's so much why, you know, the campaign is called My Death, My Decision, yeah. because it's all about personal choice and it's all about what your situation is. And that's something I want to emphasize is it's all about, you know, what what's what's a, a reason for an assisted death for me would not be the reason for assisted death for you. Right. But one of the fundamental ones we talk about is pain, pain and suffering. So there is, you know, quite a few people in it in in the UK who are in a position where they are experiencing daily and unbearable pain and suffering. So that could be people with, you know, for example, like people with skin cancers mm. or people with degenerative conditions like motor neuron disease. And they are essentially um, experiencing life, a quality of life that they do not, that they don't agree with that just isn't satisfactory for them. Yeah. And, um, so there is very good, you know, we have a very good health system here in the UK and there are, you know, palliative care and there are, there are drugs that they can take. But we've definitely found with the people that we've spoken to, you know, a lot of these people are, might already be on the legal limits of, of morphine or, or, right. or pain, um, pain relief drugs. And they are still experiencing a life that's incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly painful. So that would probably be the first reason. Another thing to talk about, really, and again, this goes back to the individual, is dignity. So a lot of people are potentially living a life that they don't think is, is dignified enough for them. So um, two of the campaigners that we we have supported have both had, you know, um, conditions like severe paralysis where they haven't been able to move from from the neck down. Or um, one of the most famous cases we supported was the case of Tony Nicholson. And he had locked-in syndrome where he, he essentially couldn't move any part of, it, of his body wow. after um, suffering. And again, that, that's, it's all up to the individual. You know, so, some people would want to continue living in that situation and they might have the mental fortitude to do so and want to do so. And other people would say, this is not the quality of life. That, that I that I would want and I would want to continue with. So very, very broadly speaking, those those are the two groups of people who would um, want assisted death. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I should mention sort of early on in the conversation that I recently lost my father um, to a long um, two year battle with several different types of cancer. And it was eventually brain cancer that took him. He was given uh, mm. six months to live um, in October. And he was a very... Um, a man's man. He was a strong guy. He was a very proud guy, and he, and he, he tended to make light of of everything. So I hope I'm not going to be uh, making light of this issue by repeating what he said. But he actually said to us once he was diagnosed as being terminal, you know, once I get to the point where I can't, you know, go to the toilet by myself or walk or speak properly, you know, just just pull the plug is effectively what he said. Um, which was difficult to hear, but he meant it, you know. But unfortunately, as a family, then we then had to witness him going through to that point and beyond, you know, to the point where he had no dignity. Um, and I know how difficult that must have been for him as a proud, strong, old school man's man, you know. Um, and just as you mentioned, he, he you know, he, he, his, his existence basically was 
surviving on tons of medication and morphine he spent most of his time asleep he by the end he was unable to go to the toilet by himself and and get out of bed and as a family it's the most difficult thing to watch that happen to your loved one especially when you know what their wishes were and, and the sort of person that they were beforehand um and I honestly think that my dad was the sort of person, no, he was not religious, he didn't have faith, he was very much a man of science and stuff, he was a very rational, practical kind of guy. I honestly believe that if assisted dying was an option for him, I think it's something that he would have factored into his plans earlier on whilst he still had the faculties to be able to do that. So for me, this is an issue that is, that is very fresh. And although it's difficult to sort of talk about it, I think um, I can speak from first-hand experience as, as somebody that has seen a family member go through that, that it's something that we probably would have, I mean, if, if, he, if, he, if it was his wishes to do so, we would have honoured it. But, as a, but it's something that we as a family would have agreed with as well, because it's that, it's that distinction between keeping somebody alive, but having no quality of life at all you know um so i can totally relate to it and i'm totally on board with the need for assisted dying and i think it's such a shame that families and and individuals have to go through what we've just been through and what my dad just went through um when i know that in other countries around the world they do actually have legalized assisted dying Could, could we talk about some of the countries that do have it and and whether it is um a success there and whether it is something that is used a lot or is it you know something that people tend to not use even though they've got the option to Absolutely. But the first thing I want to say, James, is, is you know, it, for me, like I, I have, I listen to stories like that nearly every day. You know, it, it's part of my job and, and your dad's story still affects me. Like I still find that really difficult to, to hear and, and to, to know that people in the UK are going through things like this. And it's something I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about, but like, it, it's not just the person who's going, you know, who's dying, who, who's experiencing that. It, it is their family members and it is their friends and their, their loved ones. And I, I've heard plenty of stories like yours, James, and it's just heartbreaking to hear about. And it really kind of, it really does drive me in and puts passion into the, the campaign that I work on because I just don't understand how the people in the government cannot listen to that and not feel the empathy that I'm feeling and not yeah. feel what you went through and what your whole family went through and what your, your dad went to it. It does strike me as, as totally kind of barbaric that, 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 that's something that your father wouldn't at least be in the choice. And I, I would encourage you to look at the, the story of Tony Lickinson because I think he was described exactly as your dad was described right. before his stroke. He was such a, he, he was described as, as such a kind of, charismatic and and you know boisterous person who had such a personality and and as his condition changed all he wanted was the choice to go out on his own own terms and i think there are so many stories like that so thank you very much for, for sharing um i think talking about other places in the world there, there are many other places in the world that have very different different rules and i think that's something for the for the uk that we need to discuss is kind of there are these different international models essentially of assisted dying and which one do we want for us so the first one to talk about is it would be a, would be oregon so states in the in the us and they have a law that allows people who have six months left to live to have an assisted death and so these people go through kind of a, the, their doctor needs to sign off that they, they, the doctor believes that they have six months left to live. 
they have to go through um, certain valuations. There's a cooling off period as well. So, you know, that they, they have to write and it has to come from them that they want an assisted death. And then there, there, there'll be a certain period where they have time to contemplate and think about that. And then um, they can withdraw at any time. You know, you, you can all of these jurisdictions, everywhere in the world, you can always withdraw, you know, literally until the, the, the button's pushed or the, the drugs are in, ingested. Right. So there's always that kind of withdrawal. And, um, yeah, it, it's... Oregon's had it for, I think, nearly 20 years now. And the, the numbers of people who are, who are seeking this, this assist death has, has kind of steadily increased, but then plateaued. And I, I think it, it's because these people now know that the option is available for them. And the longer these, these things are ingrained in society, the longer they become part of the conversation that people have with doctors and, you know, with their, their healthcare professionals and things like that. So the first one is Oregon. Second, obviously, is uh, uh, Switzerland. And that's the one that spoke about the most because Switzerland is one of the only countries in the world that um, allows people from other countries to to apply for assisted death in Switzerland. Right. And there are various um, kind of organizations that, um, that run that. So the most famous is Dignitas, but there are other organizations. And again, it's a very similar process. And it's a really quite long lengthy process and it's something that's worth mentioning that i'm sure we can get into later is is it costs about 10 grams okay. to go to switzerland for a uk citizen so obviously that's incredibly prohibitive for an enormous amount of, of the population of the uk yeah. i can say for a fact that i don't have 10 grand in my bank <laughs> and i know don't know many people who do yeah um and again, it's a process of, so for Swiss nationals and you know, for, for, for Brits, they, they'd have to have a, a doctor sign off on, on the state of their condition. They'd have to have a, another healthcare professional look at that. There'd be, again, it would have to be written consent that you, you know, that you write in yourself, this is me, this is what I want. You then have an evaluation. There's, there's, you know, quite a few, um, kind of like, hoops to jump through it's not it's yeah. by no means a, a simple process and then a third country i just want to talk to you about briefly is canada and so canada has essentially the law that i think the uk should go for so canada does not it's not just limited to people who have six months left to live it's anybody who has uh, an incurable and what they deem to be unbearable condition and uh, again, there's lots of safeguards. Again, it, the, there's a there's a process. But what we're starting to see in Canada is is really interesting because there's things that I've heard about, such as the, you know, a priest coming to the assisted death and performing the last rites at the assisted death. It's part of their healthcare service, and it's you know, it, and it's part of the kind of national conversation that they've had and they're talking about it. And I think it's important to note that I don't feel that we're having this conversation in the UK. Yeah. I think we can have this kind of stiff upper lip mm. when it comes to talking about death. And it's not something that we discuss with family members. It's not something you hear really discussed that much on the news. And that's the position that we need to get into where we're just able to have these frank, open and honest conversations about the end of our lives. Because I know it's so cliche to say, but it's, you know, death is the one thing that we all share. It's the one certainty yeah. that's going to happen in our lives. So what is the um, Canadian model then in terms of um, 
Is it a drug that's administered? Is it a, a, a chemical thing? Because I know that in Switzerland, I mean, there was that big news thing, wasn't there, where they had that uh, mobile kind of um, device that a person could sit yeah. in. And I think that was a chemical, air, airbound chemical type of thing, wasn't it? Um, I'm guessing they're not, they're not using things like that on the health service in Canada. So what is the, um, what is the process in practice? Yes. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure if the device is being used yet in Switzerland. I think that might have been a bit of a bit of an article that kind of ran away with itself. But right. in um, Canada, they call it medically assisted aid in dying. So they call it MAID. And it's either a drug that you ingest or you take yourself, or it's a, this kind of medically assisted thing. So it will be, you know, for example, like potentially like an IV bag or something intravenous. That, um, that the doctor then, you know, with your consent and after, again, this, all, this, this, this long process, either pushes a button or, you know, plunges a syringe and this intravenous um, drug is introduced into your body that puts you to sleep and then causes, causes death. Right. So it's, a, so it's painless. So you, so you go to sleep first, you know, like a general yeah. anesthetic and then... Yeah. The, 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 then it kind of takes hold. And I, I, I'm not... You know, I think it, it, it kind of shuts down bodily organs and that, that's how the, the death is is, um, is caused. And I think one of the point, things to mention there is, is a lot of people do opt for the, the doctor to, to, to be the one that's pushing that button. So right. it's a conversation we have to have with doctors, with our own doctors and obviously with these, these medical professions as well. And I think another point to make here is, is people bring up, you know, the, the ethics of the, that. The, the doctor being involved and something very important to mention is in all of these countries that doctors have an opt-out clause if, if a doctor doesn't want to administer you, you know end-of-life drugs then they will never have to and they will never you know there's it, it would be unthinkable to, to force doctors to so, so it's very much that, that, that it's almost kind of a different part of, of, of medicine just as you know we have gynecology and pediatrics and all this kind of stuff they'll, 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 they'll be healthcare professionals who have focused on, for example, end of life care and, and, and end of, end of life drugs. All right. So just to reiterate from what you're saying then under the Canadian model, which is the one that you favor and think could be adopted here, uh, this isn't something which as it is often portrayed, you know, in the, uh, the, the right wing press or whatever as being something that it could just be willy nilly doled out, you know, oh, we're all going to be, killing ourselves every time we you know get depressed for a day or whatever under the nhs and all this nonsense this is actually something which has got quite a thorough administrative process and has to be signed off by a medical professional and the patient has to have approvable terminal illness or an illness which is giving them an unlivable unbearable quality of life yes that patient can then change their mind at any point right up until the day of the procedure and this is not something which can be doled out willy-nilly um, or exploited in any way. So there's, there's actually two big points that we need to discuss when it comes to this. And I think the first thing that is worth mentioning when, when you mentioned about you know, this is the fact that right now in the UK, we have no laws, we have no legislation, hmm. which means we have no safeguards, we have no processes, we have nothing, and which means that people take their lives at the end of their lives into their own hands. 
And there are, you know, there, there was a there was a study by the um, Office of National Statistics that looked into the the, the suicide rates of people who had had a, um, a terminal diagnosis, and they found that these people were twice as likely to commit suicide. So if you had, you know, if you were given a diagnosis of terminal cancer or, or a terminal illness or motor neuron disease, you're incredibly more likely to take your own life and take these these matters into your own hands and when we talk about that you know that's on that there's no safeguards if you're taking your life into your, your own your own hands true the these sorts of deaths are you know often very traumatic there's the the, the case of of max mosley who was the the formula one boss who shot himself after receiving a, a terminal diagnosis there's no doctor he spoke to about that that's traumatic for for him and, and his entire family and he should have had the the choice at the end of his life. So when we're talking about, you know, could could people take advantage of this system or could, could there be any coercion or anything like that? But when you're talking about people taking their lives into their own hands without any assistance as it is right now, there's so much, there's so much many problems around that. It, 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 it's awful that people can't discuss these options with their families. They can't yeah. discuss these options with the, the doctors. There are no safeguards. There, there are no things. So even if in the UK we you know decided to have the weakest safeguards in all the world, they would still be a million times stronger than what we've got right now, which is absolutely nothing at all. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So it's not that it's illegal. It's that there's just never been any kind of conversation around this issue with regards to its legality or otherwise. No. So uh, here's another point. This is when we're going down the bit of the rebel hop. So it's, again, suicide is not illegal in the UK completely. And, and that's where, you know, it, it even slips into my own vocabulary. I sometimes say commit suicide and you cannot commit suicide because it suicide is not a crime taking your own life into your own hands is not a crime right the crime in the uk is assisting or encouraging uh, a, a death and essentially the reason why that's causing so much problems is it means that doctors can't be involved in any way shape right. or form it means your family can't be involved in any way shape or form and it means if the police suspect that your family or your doctor or anyone is involved in any way you can go to jail for up to four, 14 years. Right. And so what we've seen is we've seen people accompany people to Dignitas, for example, or to Switzerland. And, you know, that, that's traumatic. And that's, a, you know, that's a difficult process for them. And there's, there's a grieving process around any sort of death. We understand that. And then they return to the UK. They're arrested the moment they land at Heathrow. They're, you know, they're chucked into a, a prison cell. They're interrogated. These people should be grieving uh, something that's an incredibly difficult moment at this time. The time they should yeah. not be treated with suspicion and 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 you know the, it's just such a horrible situation. So yeah, that that's the difference here is that it's actually it's the assisting or encouraging that's the crime in, in the UK. Right. Okay. And what about the public then? Do we have any idea whether the the British public support the idea of assisted dying? Because I know most people don't really want to talk about death or think about it. I mean, it's something that we carry through our lives as humans, isn't it? That kind of existential yeah. weight that we we all carry through our lives. And we don't really ever want to think about our own mortality or indeed that of our loved ones. It's just that it's just an uncomfortable subject to have to think about. But unfortunately, we have to think about it at some point, whether we like it or not. So have there been any studies on this? Because I can't imagine it's a study that a lot of people would want to do as it is such an emotional subject. But has does that data exist as to whether the public actually support this in the UK or not? 
Yes, and I mean it's such. It, you're right; it's a motor issue. You're 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 right that it brings up you know so many ethical questions that again, as I said, we have to discuss. We have to talk about death. But there have been so many you know opinion polls that it, it's it's hard to even point to which ones because there's so many. Oh, wow. The best we've seen is ninety percent of the public support assisted dying under really? some, some circumstances. I mean that's a huge population. That's a huge per- percentage. But I mean there's so many studies that happen all the time. The worst one I've seen is seventy percent of the public, hmm. you know, you know, just taken under this. So even if you take the worst polls that we've got, if you take the worst opinion polls, there's still an overwhelming support in the UK for assisted dying. And this is something where politics hasn't caught up. Those We're not seeing those same percentages when we're talking to MPs. And that's fundamentally wrong. We're in a democracy that should be the will of the people. And the British people have overwhelmingly, consistently voted and spoken about and shown that they support assisted dying. That is amazing. I had no idea, man. So why are we not seeing that reflected in the political class then, once again? See, that's such a good question. And uh, you know, it, it leads me down a road where I, obviously I can't talk for, for any MP and I can't talk, talk for politicians. There's a few, there's obviously a religious element that, ha- that, we, that we have to talk about, but that people for their religious convictions, you know, would not want to uh, support assisted death or I sometimes feel that maybe these politicians do not want to upset religious communities when they, when they feel they don't have to you know and even then I, I, there's, there's, there's opinion polls of you know the first question is are you religious or do you consider yourself religious and then the second question is you know how do you feel about assisted dying or would you support assisted dying in the UK and we found that 80% of people who say they're religious would support assisted dying oh wow there, there's a there's an opinion piece in the the church times today by reverend canon rosie harper talking about how the church of england is out of date with its um with its members because there is a christian reason for supporting assisted dying you know the, the bible talk there are there are suicides in the bible there's death and resurrection in the bible you know a lot of religious texts talk about death and life and there's a religious quote which i'm not going to be able to quote you know exactly but it's along the lines of of death is better than a, a miserable life so the i think that not only are kind of maybe these mps a little bit out of touch with their constituents but also the church to an extent is out of touch with its members so there is that religious element that i think can um can stop this change of the law and i also think i don't think mps or i don't think politicians in general would i would rarely admit openly that that's the reasoning they're talking about that being said in the most recent debates or um there's one of the one of them are you know the most um ardent opponents to assisted dying is an mp called danny kruger and you may know his name because he's recently stood up in the in the parliament and said he doesn't believe women should have autonomy over their bodies or he doesn't believe that's a right and we've had other mps and you know we had there was a there was a westminster hall debate on monday and that debate is was the good moment to you know, highlight some of the issues we're talking about, but the debate won't lead to any votes or changes in the law. It was kind of just a bit of generic debate. And there was an MP there who spoke about pro-life and you know, talking about how he supports the life of a fetus just as much as he supports the life of a pensioner. And again, those are kind of evangelical, you know, Christ, 
really old school Christian beliefs that are so out of touch yeah. with the, the population. And again, brings up this idea of bodily autonomy. Like that our organization is called my death, my decision, because it's my death. It's my decision. It's my body. It's my choice. It's fundamentally, I don't understand how these MPs think that they can, they can determine the rights of, you know, your father to make choices over the end of his life or me to make the end choices about the end of my life. Like I'm the person who knows my body. I'm the person who knows what I'm feeling. I should be able to make these decisions. That's really interesting. And of course, yeah, it does cross over into the, um, the abortion debate as well, doesn't it? Which I know is very hot at yeah. the moment as well. And yeah, I, I suppose these religious values have traditionally informed our sort of social and moral values, haven't they, throughout the ages? And, it, and it's interesting that that is still, there's still that hangover into the modern age that we live in now, where many of our laws are, are still predicated on those religious values. Um, yeah. I didn't realize that that would be the reason for it, though. I mean, I, I thought that they would have evolved beyond that. I thought this was more of an ethical or um, there was some political reason for it. But, but from, from what from what you've seen in your experience, it is literally just a belief system issue. I, no, there are other issues there, but, I, but my personal view is that that that, that is the main hang-up. You know, the, right. the, the British political system is an old-school system. It, it, it is reluctant to change. We, 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 we have, you know, a conservative government with conservative MPs, and, you know, some, some people might argue, well, that's the crux of uh, conservatism, is, you know, keeping things the same and keeping keeping things the status quo and and this kind of you know back to our church of england roots but even then i make the argue that the the c in conservatism you know stands for choice conservatives mm. are all about the right. fact that it shouldn't be nanny states you know that's what Thatcher was all on about and that's what conservatives still believe that the, the idea that people should have choices and it shouldn't be this you know big government that chooses makes these choices for the people or that's the people who should be making the choices themselves so even then you know that there's a there's a conservative um group in parliament which is called you know conservatives for choice and they 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 support assisted dying so there aren't always these these clear-cut lines along along politics and along policies yeah yeah and that's another thing that's worth mentioning is that the government has always said that any vote on assisted dying would be what's called a conscious vote. So the government wouldn't say you should vote this way or you should vote that way. Every single MP would vote according to themselves. So it is really a case of changing hearts and minds of each of these individual MPs. I suppose then it, it comes back down to the same as it does with every issue we talk about on this podcast, which is down to public pressure. So if the constituents yeah. are, are, are making this issue priority with their, with their representatives and being consistent in reinforcing that over and over and over again, that, as it stands at the moment, would be the only way that we stand any chance of changing the conversation within Parliament. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is, you know... the. It's one of the reasons I'm part of this campaign. Is it feels sometimes a bit like a David versus Goliath campaign. You've got to think about the people, who, the, the, you know, the majority of people who are talking about assisted dying and who want an assisted death themselves are an older generation. You know, they're, they're potentially unwell or, or, or sick, or you know, towards the end of their, their their lives. And these are the people mounting this campaign. You know, I work every single day with people who have either, you know, want an assisted death themselves or have had a family member who's experienced, you know, excruciating 
excruciating and painful to death. And those are the people who are leading this campaign. Like this is a grassroots campaign. I would happily show everyone, you know, where we get all of our funding from and we're a membership based organization. And we're fighting to change a law and we're fighting against as well. I think it's worth bringing up that there are groups who are adamantly against assisted dying who are funded through, you know, evangelical churches in the US and through, through really kind of, um, what's the word where, where it's just like behind closed doors. You know, if you go on our website or if you, if you look up any kind of assisted dying group, you can find out exactly who's part of them, who's funding them, who's working for them. And they've got a lot of money, those groups, man. Yeah. And if you go against, if you go on any of these kind of, they call them, uh, you can't see me doing air quotes, but pro-life <laughs> groups, you know, they, these groups that they're against bodily autonomy and back to these old school values, they never include who's working for them. They never include right. where their funding's from. You know, this is, it's so much of the little man trying to stick it up to, to these big, you know, to government and to these big, big organizations and it very much feels like we're we're the dark horse here and we are there is going to be change and it's going to happen and, and it's and the change is happening off the backs of so many amazing campaigners who have you know who who, who have been facing incredibly difficult times in their own lives yeah and have somehow found the energy to campaign for a change in the law it's amazing that people do that, but it's such a shame that it always has to come down to that, isn't it? I mean, every week on this podcast, we discuss a different issue, and it always seems to come down to the same conclusion. The David and Goliath feeling is one which it seems to be universal for all of the campaigners that we've had on the, um, on the podcast. And ultimately, the main barrier to progress on any particular given issue is the government mm. and the powers that control them. And those powers are very powerful. You know, whether you're talking about the, you know, the, the religious right or the pharmaceutical industry or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, these powers have tentacles deep into the seats of governments everywhere. Yeah. And when you factor in the ideological leanings of the political class that you mentioned earlier, it can seem uh, like a, an immovable object. But as you said, you know, the support on the streets is at least 70 to 90 percent support for this issue and i always take heart from the fact that you know the 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 people seem to be about a hundred years ahead of the government and ultimately that is where change has only ever come from is people power every significant change we've ever had has come from that so whilst it might seem impossible at times it's very encouraging to know that there is that support base there amongst the majority of the population yeah absolutely and and i think the case the way I see it, uh, I'm fundamentally an optimist, is, is it's now a case of when, not not if. Like the, the tide of change is with us. There's so much public support. It, it, it's got to happen because we've got to be helping these people. You know, there, there's so many people who who just need this choice at the end of their lives, and and we've we've got to work as a, you know as an empathetic society. I don't know how anyone can listen to some of the stories that I've heard and not just fundamentally support a change in the law. Well, speaking of personal stories then, is there a story that you could share with us from your your experience in, in of working in this area um, that would help to illustrate what it is that you're fighting for here and why this is so important? Is there a story of, of a family or a person that's actually been through this process of assisted dying that would really help people to understand on a personal level on a human level, what it is that you're fighting for? Or is that 
like a really broad question. <laughs> no, no, no. And that, that, that's a good question. And so, you know, this concept, it's, it's really difficult to talk about this concept of a good death. Yes. It's not something that we, we, we would ever talk about. And it's so difficult to think about, but you know, everybody, if they, if you, if you do take a moment to think about yourself, like, and, and how you'd want the end of your life to be, it's different for a person. You know, I, I know I have a, I have an extended family member that he wants to tie on the tennis court. She wants to win the final points and wants to collapse right there because that's where she loves her life and that's what she wants to do. Beautiful. And, yeah. you know, it's different different for every single person. But a lot of people would say surrounded by family, you know, surrounded yeah. by this. And so one, one, the person you should Google and look up is called Dawn Voice Cooper. So she had an assisted death in Switzerland last year. And the headlines, if you, if you Google it, are... It goes champagne, a cigarette, and her favorite song. And those were Dawn Voice Cooper's final moments. She was surrounded by friends. She was drinking her favorite champagne. She invited journalists with her to, to kind of to, to help this campaign, essentially. But said, look, this is what it can be like. And, you know, it, it was still a, t- a tearful moment. It was still difficult for the, for the friends that were with her there, but it was also beautiful. Yeah. And the, 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 where she was, she, you know, she describes the trees and the lights and the, the, the occasion. And, and I think that's where we need to go back to when we're talking about death is it, it's not necessarily in, you know, in a, in a hospice or a hospital room. It, it, it's surrounded by friends and family. It, she, she said she was reminiscing and talking about old times and laughing and and it wasn't you know it wasn't how we think about death and how we would 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 imagine death so that's definitely i think someone for you to look up at and to make your own decision about but it's something that i would point to and say this is what it could be and as as beautiful as it was and you want to talk about it there's something sad in the fact that she was in switzerland why are we why are we saying that you know why why are we outsourcing our compassion to another country that doesn't feel very british that doesn't feel very right that we'd say right you know we're going to outsource empathy to another country that that's wrong dawn should have been able to die in the uk that's absolutely beautiful thank you for sharing that with us because i think that perfectly illustrates the concept of a good death owning one's death so that's dawn voice cooper for anybody that wants to go and check that out i would i would thoroughly recommend it because death is coming for all of us whether we like it or not and i think taking ownership of that is mature it shows strength and bravery and is inspirational to it to everybody else because death is also not the thing we need to worry about it's it's having a long slow painful undignified slow death yeah. And I can only really talk from my own experience recently with my father. I mean, you know, by the end, my father, all, all, he, all he wished for was that he would go, you know, peacefully in his sleep. And thank God, for want of a better phrase, that is how it happened in the end. But I can honestly say, you know, by the time that day came, it was actually a relief for us, which is so sad that we should feel that way. But seeing him as he was, you know, he wasn't cognizant for a long time. You know, he was essentially just being kept alive by medication. And for what? You know, he had no quality of life. It was undignified. It was completely traumatizing for us to witness as a family. Mm. Whereas we could have had the experience that you just described in Dawn Voice Cooper's story, where before he got to the point where he was unable, you know, we could have had a final meal, you know, a movie night, you know, a glass of wine, reminiscing, say our, say our 
I love yous and our um, <clears throat> our uh, thank yous and everything and um, <clears throat> and it could have gone that way instead you know which would have been um, much more special and beautiful and a much more dignified way to go out with a smile on your face feeling good with your loved ones smiling around you holding your hand as you say goodbye to the world you know rather than um, what it was like I'm actually more traumatised by my father's final few months than him passing you know him him passing as i said was actually a a relief as much as i hate to say it because we couldn't bear seeing seeing him degenerate anymore so i thank you for sharing that story i think what dawn and her family have done there is brave beautiful and perfectly illustrates what it is that um, yourself and so many others are, are campaigning for on this issue yeah, absolutely, and I I think that's something to to you know she she's a hero. That's so brave that that she could share the, she could share her story like that, and also you know it, it it's not just about it's it's never just about the, the people who who are dying. It's about the people surrounding them, and I, I mean it should be you know that the, these things should be family occasions. They should be surrounded by friends and and loved yeah. ones, and we should just be not so much more open as a society about talking about this and what people want at the end of their lives. 100%. So could you tell us a bit about the group that you work for, My Death, My Decision, what it is that you guys are doing and what is it that people can do to get involved and to help? So one of the things that we're doing right now is we're calling for an inquiry and that we think that's the right thing to do. So an inquiry would basically look at all the evidence. It would probably do a consultation. So they'd probably ask the public their views and, um, and essentially what we think would happen would it would be, it would allow politicians and MPs to be able to see all the evidence in front of them and say, right, you know, do we want to be like Canada or do we want to be like Oregon or, or like Switzerland, you know, and they'd be able to make those decisions. So one of the things that you can do is you can write to your MP and essentially demand an inquiry. And I don't understand how MPs can say no to that because it's not like we're asking for a change in the law. We're asking for government to actually look into the issue in depth and have these conversations. So writing to your MP and saying, you know, this is why I care about assisted dying make it as personal as possible and say, I want an inquiry. Those words, you know, will change the tide and they will lead to to positive change. You can also become a a member of the organization and then, you know, we can either help you share your personal story because, again, it's personal stories that are, are changing minds and changing hearts. Or we can supply you with, you know, tools and campaigning materials to help you campaign locally. But fundamentally, if you go and talk to your MP, if you can, if you can sit down with your MP and have a conversation with them, that's what's going to change the lines, and that's what's going to change the law. Brilliant. And as you've said, you know the support is clearly there on the streets. So, despite the obvious resistance that uh, this this campaign and so many others faces within the machinery of government, are we generally moving in the right direction, or are we still on ground zero? No, change is coming, and so something. Again, to get on the technical side, so nothing's happening in England and Wales right, right now. There's no, there's no votes, there's no legislation, there's lit- literally nothing, and nothing's likely to happen this year because of the parliamentary session, essentially, that there's going to be no you know, new assisted dying laws introduced. So if you look at it that way, it's bleak. 
But Scotland is having a bill that's going through. They 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 had a consultation, so they you know they, they asked the Scottish public, well, "What do you think about assisted dying?" And they got an unprecedented response. So they're you know sifting through those responses. They're examining the evidence now, and they're going to introduce a law, um, a, a bill, sorry, in September, and then that might be a law, you know, by twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four, depending on obviously how how it goes through. So there's that pressure from Scotland. In the um, on the island of uh, Jersey, they had something really interesting called a citizens jury. So we don't really have them here in England and Wales, but they, essentially they they got rounded up a group of people that are kind of um, meant to be representative of the population. And they asked them a bunch of questions about assisted dying. You know, do you think it would work in Jersey? What would it look like? What sort of safeguards would you like? And Jersey responded and said, you know, the people of Jersey responded and said, yes, we want assisted dying. We want it to look a little bit like Canada and that model of, you know, not just for the terminally ill, but the incurably and unbearably suffering. And then so Jersey have approved assisted dying in principle. So all they need to do now is they're going to essentially, they, they've just had an election. They're going to vote on it soon. And again, that could be a law. And exactly the same similar thing is happening in the Isle of Man. There's a there's a what's called a private members bill going through their their government right now. So there's pressure coming from all sides here. And I really don't think it would be sustainable if England and Wales don't have a law, and yet Scotland, Jersey, and the Isle yeah. of Man do. And even even the, the you know the Republic of Ireland are now looking into this, and they've got a, they've literally just announced like a special committee to look into it. So there's all of that pressure going on. And then, you know, there's a Welsh element as well. Like the, so the Wales can't choose its own assisted dying laws, even though it can choose its own health care. There's a bit of a weird kind of um, problem happening here with evolution. So I think, you know, there is a lot of support for assisted dying in Wales, in the Synod as well. And they could either kind of vote for it in principle or they could demand more devolution right. on this. And they could say this is something that we want to legislate themselves. So there's, you know, if you look at it on paper, it's bleak. Nothing's happening. But if you look at the overall picture of the world, of British society, of England and Wales, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. And I fundamentally believe it, it will. It has to. How can we not? You know, we're an empathetic society. We are a compassionate society. We must have compassion for the people at the end of their lives. I can't imagine anybody would disagree with that sentiment at all. And there does seem to be a growing awareness and enlightenment um, on this issue around the world, because you've already mentioned like two major powers like Canada and Switzerland is already having legalized assisted dying. But am I right in saying that Holland and Belgium also have it as well? Yes. So, and again, that's something. So, you know, um, MPs voted on assisted dying. They voted on it a couple of times. Last time was in, in 2015. And some people point to that and say, you know, in in we voted on it in 2015. We voted no. Why are we voting for it again? And that's, as you mentioned, the inter international context. I think in 2015, there were, you know, a couple of million people who had access, you know, in Switzerland and places like that. Now it's nearly 350. In fact, I think it's over 350 million people across the world have access to assisted dying. There's so much evidence there. There's so many places that we could look at. There's so many places in Europe. Austria very recently um, changed the law. Italy are being very uh, difficult about it, but they've just had their first assisted death that was due to a court wow. case. So I'm not sure they've changed the law, but they've had their first assisted death. And then a really interesting country to look at is Spain. Because Spain, you know, technically is, well, not technically, Spain is quite a deeply Catholic country, yeah, like quite yeah, a deeply yeah. religious religious country. So how how have they got a, a dying law and, and we don't? Why are we refusing to have this conversation? 
and to legislate about it. Well, I'm not surprised about Italy, you know, for the very reasons you mentioned, you know, a deeply devout Catholic nation. So props to Spain, you know, another deeply devout Catholic nation for taking the lead on this. Um, that, I think, is a very encouraging sign. And it leads me to ask you a very simple question of, are you hopeful? Yes, yes, I, I, I'm hopeful. And I, and I have to be hopeful in this line of work. I mean, someone you know, calls me up every single month, you know, almost more than that, actually, and says, you know, I'm in this situation, I've, I've got skin cancer, or I've got this, and I'd like an assisted death. And it is soul-destroying to not be able to help, because I can't. Because if I even told them what to Google and where to look, I could face 14 years in prison. Oh, and my God. I, that, that's, you know, not to bring this to me, but, like, that, that's, that's horrible. That brings me to tears every single time, because I, I was grown up, you know, I was taught, if you see someone who needs help, you help. That, yeah, like, that's yeah. what you do. That's, that's part of you. And that's how I believe everyone should be. And it's really difficult in this side of work to have people call up and to be able to say to them, I'm really sorry, I can't even answer your questions. Like, I can't oh, do anything. So, yes, crazy. I'm, hopeful that we, I'm hopeful that we will have a change in the law because I have to be hopeful. And I honestly do believe it's a matter of time and it depends on how good, basically, I am at my job. depends on what that time scale is. Well, you're clearly very good at your job. You're doing great work and it's a very noble cause. So we all thank you for that, man. And if what you're telling us is that the, the only barrier to this is getting the collective minds of our representatives on side so that we can shove a law through to make this happen, then I don't see that as an insurmountable mountain at all. I feel like if everybody who listens to this takes heed and makes this a priority next time they go and knock the door of their MP and raises the question with them as to where they stand on this issue and keeps asking them that question over and over and over again consistently month after month after month. Slowly over time, we can start to normalize the conversation around this, which, which actually doesn't even need to happen given, given the statistics you gave us earlier about the support base for this amongst the general public being yeah. easily between somewhere between 60 and 90 percent you know that that's a majority whichever way it goes down so i'm quite optimistic that if enough people actually act now on the information that you've given us today that this could be an easy win for us i i, I really hope so and i'm in quite a unique position that I, you know i'm trying to work myself out of the job here as, as fast as i as i can <laughs> well, don't put us in a sticky predicament now now we got to choose do we want to keep nathan on a job or do we want to get this thing through <laughs> so where can people go then to take this further uh where where can they find you guys how can they get involved yeah, so it's it's my death mydecisionorguk You know, a, a donation would be incredibly helpful. And we are, as I said earlier, we are grassroots. Like we, we are a membership organization and we literally wouldn't be anywhere without our members. And it's the people who donate and who support and who write letters and help us out and who volunteer, who are the reason that we exist as an organization and we couldn't exist without donations or, or help from our, you know, really so passionate supporters so yes it's my death dash my decision.org.uk or um, if you just google my death my decision or on twitter we are mdmd my decision and you'll you'll find us you know you'll find us campaigning and, and we're out there doing as much work as we humanly can with such a small team 
Yeah, you're doing brilliant work, man. Honestly, keep please keep doing everything you're doing. And for anyone listening to this, please support the, the work that these guys are doing at My Death, My Decision. They are a charity, so please, if you're able to contribute, please do that as well because, you know, that is the lifeblood of these campaign groups is donations that enable people like Nathan to spend all their time campaigning on these really important issues that touch so many of our lives. So please help out in any way that you can. And speaking of that important work, we better let you get back to it, haven't we? So, Nate, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate you taking time out to speak with us. And thanks for everything you're doing. I've really enjoyed the chat. And there's, there's tons of good food for thought here, which I know is going to make a lot of difference to anyone that listens to it. So thanks for everything you're doing. And thanks for being with us today, man. Well, thank you so much for talking about it. You know, it's these national conversations that we need to have that are going to cause the change in the law. Like you're doing such amazing work. And thank you so much for amplifying our message anytime and hopefully you know the next time we have you on it'll be to celebrate that would be wonderful i would love that very very much well you heard him gang let's put nathan out of a job and make this thing happen <laughs> well nathan thanks so much for being with us again today my best wishes with everything and we hope to see you again really soon take care man bye-bye bye thank you nathan Stillwell, ladies and gentlemen from the group my death my decision I really hope you enjoyed that one, guys. That's a very personal one for me, and it's a very sensitive, delicate issue. I hope you you felt that it was dealt with in a in a respectful manner, and I hope that anyone who's been touched by this um, didn't find that too upsetting or distressing to to listen to and recount and dig up those memories. Personally, I think the time has come for us to have assisted dying in the UK. I think it shows compassion, uh, bravery and maturity when facing the one thing that we can all be certain of in our life, which is our mortality and that of our loved ones. I think the work that Nathan and many others are doing on this issue is brilliant. And if you'd like to support them or just stay up to date with what they're doing, their website is mydeath-mydecision.org.uk and their Twitter is mdmdmydecision. Give those guys a follow to stay up to date with campaigns that you can get behind. And please, the next time you speak to your MP, or even if you don't even ever speak to your MP, like I don't, but make a, make a habit of doing it because that's becoming a mainstay of all of these podcasts now is that all these campaign groups who are working their ass off are all saying, look, guys, we just need you to actually get in the heads and the hearts of your elected representatives because we can campaign as much as we want. But until the laws are changed, nothing systemic can actually happen. So and that falls down onto our lap it's our responsibility these people are our rep representatives whether we chose them or not that's what we've got so it's down to us to get in the surgeries or in their inbox and just keep asking them for an answer where do you stand on this issue what are you doing about it are you going to raise it in parliament so yeah make a point of speaking to your mp and raising this issue with them as always, let me know what you think. You can leave comments on the YouTube video. I put this on YouTube basically just as like an archive for people um, who aren't on Spotify or whatever. But you could, it's also a great platform you know, for leaving comments and, and starting a public uh, forum. Or you can comment on my social media posts. I blast these things out on all platforms. So, you know, let me know what you think. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. Just hit that button, man. It's not difficult. And if you want to leave me a, a rating, whether it's one star or five, I don't care. Leave what you got to leave. But just leave me something, man. And um, I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for all the support. You guys are awesome. Hope you're enjoying these chats. Let me know if there's somebody you'd like me to speak to or if there's an issue you think I should try and tackle on the show. And we shall make it happen for you. But until then, I shall see you 
next week. Love you loads. Take care of yourselves. Take care of others. And don't forget to follow the Monday mix on my James Kennedy Spotify page. Here we go. I've just thrown you some awesome tunage for the week as well. So go and blast those bad boys and I'll see you next week. See you guys.